Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode, another podcast on ADHD. Real quick, if you're here for coping strategies or tips on what latest technology or which therapist to use and so on, it's not the right podcast. That's not what we are about. We're more about bigger picture, changing our point of view, our perception of what ADHD is how it was created, how it actually affects humanity, our children, how it affects our families and so forth. We are here attempting, hoping to shift perspectives. If you're open for that, the right podcast for you. If you're not open to shift your perspective on ADHD, you already have a perspective that works for you and your family, great. Perhaps don't waste your time with our podcast because your attention is precious, your time is precious, you have a family to run perhaps, and you have a lot on your hands with someone that's been called ADHD. Um, so just wanted to get that up front out of the way, because we get a lot of people that ask us for tips or what are you doing here? What are you doing there? We're always welcome to share what worked for us, but what worked for us may not work for you. But in terms of the perspective around ADHD, there's a lot of people that are reporting that what works for us, the perspective shift that we have undertaken in our family, actually also caused or brought them results once they tried it. So that's what we're about, shifting perspective around ADHD. And again, very soon we will have a special code from our supporter um, Boku Superfoods right here in Ojai. Boku has amazing superfoods. These guys, Reno and Lynn, started the company way back when uh, their own son was considered uh, a disruptor that he can't pay attention at school. And so they really dove deep into nutrition and they came up with formulas for protein, green powder, mushroom, cacao, Many more products they have on their website, bokusuperfoods.com. Check them out. They are just amazing. And soon we were going to have a code if you're interested already to perhaps purchase um, some, uh, just a correction, it's bokusuperfood.com, not superfoods, but they have superfoods, bokusuperfood.com. Check that out. Amazing products. We use them and they're just clean, powerful, healthy um, so if you're interested, uh, send us an email through ADHDsover.com and we'll get you hooked up. Uh, but in the next uh, couple of weeks, we will have a special um, discount code for our ADHDs Over listener. So stay tuned. That was bokusuperfood.com. Today's episode is about depletion, depletion of attention. So attention depleted children. And how this came about is my wife and I, Tatiana and I, we, we were doing some more research on really, you know, school 
how to currently, right? There's homeschooling, unschooling, uh, traditional schooling, private school. Like my wife's been diving really deep into it. And we had one of our many discussions. We have daily discussions around not just education, but ADHD or health and well-being, mental health and so forth. And one of the things that, and it's been on, on my mind, is this idea, one of the things we discussed is this idea that if we look at our children for a moment as an account, like a bank account, and when you look at a bank account, right, there's a currency that you're putting into the bank account, and then there's currency that you are taking out of the bank account. And you can take more out than you have put in. Now, you can, but there will be an overdraft fee and perhaps there will be uh, down the road, if you don't pay up, there'll be issues with your you know, credit, your financial score and so forth. So you get the idea, right? Can you take out more than you've put in? Yes. But as we all know, the consequences aren't pretty. So for the sake of this example, imagine your child, the child uh, diagnosed with the so-called disorder ADHD as a bank account and attention as the currency. And there's more there are more nuances to the word attention, and I'll get into that in a moment. But if you look at your child as a bank account and attention goes in and out, right, that's the example that we're using then I promise you an insight here, because think about it. Our children are always asked, we demand of them, we request. And in the case of schooling and work, it is an absolute daily request and a demand for them to pay their attention. You know, we say, pay attention, pay attention. So they're paying their attention to say a teacher or let's say they have a job to get themselves through college they're paying attention to the customer at the local fast food restaurant or starbucks or wherever they work right so our children are always paying attention they're paying with their attention attention is a commodity as a matter of fact attention is a very very precious commodity. And I don't want to get too far into this, but there is, um, a, you know, there's a movement out there. And one of the, uh, the authors that I've been listening to, uh, his name is Cal Newport. Uh, highly recommend his book, Deep Work. Cal is a professor at Georgetown University and an author, and he's written several books, and he really believes in doing deep, focused, undistracted work. And while, we, while I want to reserve that topic for another uh, episode, I just wanted to bring this up because what Cal inspired me to think about is, is our attention essentially is a currency. It is a commodity that in the future, if we manage, if we can figure out how to pay attention and do deep work that's not distracted by life, social media, emails, family, and so forth, right? Once we can find out our own way, our strive, our own kind of uh, approach to doing deep work on anything, right, that's important to us, then we can thrive. 
that is sort of the theory that Cal proposes is that deep work is going to be a hot commodity in the future. As a matter of fact, deep work is going to be needed to be wanted, to be hired, to be in demand. So let's go back for a moment to this attention paying example. If your child was a bank account, I know that's odd, but roll with me. It makes sense. If your child is a bank account and the currency is attention and your child is constantly daily asked to pay attention, then at some point, unless the same amount of attention goes into your child, into the bank account, your child will be depleted. Your child will not be able to pay attention, not want to pay attention, certainly will feel pressured to give his or her daily attention to something that they may not deem important to them. So now let's look at what attention needs to be deposited and who's going to make the deposit. Well, one thing is clear. If you're a parent and you have children, right? I guess that would make you a parent, but you have children with ADHD, for example, then there are levels uh, of attention that will go into your child, into the bank account called your child. First, uh, first nuance might be attention to making sure they're paying attention, right? So there's these sort of ADHD coping, managing as a parent, right? So you certainly spend a lot of time and energy trying to have your child pay attention, whether that's through medication or you know, uh, teaching them at home, homeschooling, or making sure they, they get their grades at school. There's that sort of managing and coping uh, attention. I'm just going to write this down here because as you know, and I've said this before, um, I rarely make notes and I rarely jump into a topic with uh, an agenda because I, I trust that what I need to say around the topic will just flow through me because it's really not my information. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm essentially a vessel a channel for this information. So managing coping is one level of attention. Another level of attention is, for example, just nurturing, right? Your children, your child, nurturing as in loving them, making sure they they feel safe, the family is together, there's beautiful moments, there's laughter, there's joy and so forth, right? Then there could be other uh, ways of paying attention to your child. It could be, and this is a very important one that I'm realizing, and I've done some research on this, is the importance of play, laughter. Um, for, for example, for me as a father with my two boys, it's like roughhousing, uh, wrestling. They like to be thrown onto the bed. They like me to play the monster and chase them. So there's, there's those kind of, you know, it's still nurturing, but I, I would just call it play for right now. Play and laughter is really, uh, I think, a big one, right? And then, of course, there's, uh, if we want to sort of uh, isolate safety and uh, making sure your, your little one isn't running into the street or your little one isn't, you know, uh, um, on the bicycle, isn't too far out in the lane when other bike riders come by, you know, you get the idea. It's basically uh, safety, as I like to call it. So one of the nuances being safety certainly requires a lot of, of uh, attention from you, the parent, right? From us. But we're giving them that attention. We're actually wanting to make sure they're present in the moment, not getting hurt. Now, we could go on. There's 
potentially a lot more nuance to those four, but I think those are the main four. Again, managing and coping with your child because they are different, their brain works differently. Nurturing them like any child uh, in, in a family structure needs to be nurtured, loved. And then play, laughter, uh, really just having a good time with your children, not being serious. And then there's safety, which could be looked at as more serious, to making sure your children don't get hurt, right? So all these things are attention that we deposit into our children's bank accounts because we actually think that that's all they need. Now, while it is kind of all they need, there's one that I want to single out and break down further, and that is the nurturing part. That is sort of like what I call nurturing and loving, right? Now, before I go any further, I want us all to look at the word love. What does love mean to you? Perhaps take a moment here. When I say, love your child, what does that look like to you? What does loving your child actually mean to you? Perhaps take a moment, write it down. Does it mean spending time with your child? Does it mean buying your child things? Does it mean choosing the best schools and the best, you know, activities and so forth for you? Because a lot of parents say, I give everything. I would do anything for my child because I love them. So really let that sink in. What is love to you when you say, I love my child? And guys, this is so, such a deep question. And I know at first when, when you ask a parent, do you love your child? I mean, I would say it's probably 99 out of 100 that will say, of course I love my child. It's my child. And yes, there are circumstances where perhaps somebody will say, oh, I love him, but yeah, sometimes I hate him. Yeah, we all know that. But unless there's some major psychological damage, trauma, abuse in someone's, you know, history, most parents, like I said, 99%, okay, I'll, fine, I'll make it 95. I always get that person who goes like, that's not true. It's not 99%, it's probably less. Okay, even 90, let's go with 90. Or picture the number you feel comfortable, but you know it's very high. Parents will say, yes, I love my child. But when I then ask them, what do you mean? What does that mean, love? First of all, I get a puzzled look. Well, what do you mean? I, I love my child. It's my child. I would do anything for my child. And I go, okay, well, like what? And then they will, well, I mean, I work for them. I make money. I support them. I feed them. I give them a good education. I make sure they're safe. I teach them this. I take them to religion class. You know, whatever that looks like in your family. And I always wait until someone is done and I say, okay, now I know what you would do and what you are doing and giving your child, but what is love mean to you? And I get another puzzled look. Well, you know, like, like I just, I love them. And it's so funny because those are really the two forms of love that we usually, that we're used to hearing. One is you do everything for your child and the other one is you just love them. And so funny because the word just, right, it's, we use it as in like, well, it's that simple. I just love them. Well, and you've heard me say this before, if you've listened to previous episodes, 
I want to just break down what love is to me and my family or to me and my wife and what we've established with our children. And we have largely been influenced by uh, a methodology or a teaching that comes from Landmark Education. Those of you who don't know Landmark Education, you can look that up. I think now it's called Landmark Worldwide. Um, and it comes from EST, which used to be Earhart Seminar Training, which was founded by a man named Werner Erhardt, who at some point controversially was uh, driven to uh, flee the country, give up his education and so forth, and his bro brother um, bought the uh, methodology, the materials from him, and rebranded it as Landmark. Very powerful education, transformational work that really um, my wife and I have experienced for 15 years and contrary to what some people have written about it, that it's a cult and that it's abusing people. And so it's not. Uh, we've been there for 15 years. We didn't work for them or anything, but we've taken seminars for 15 years. I know I have friends, great friends who've worked there and so forth. Yes, it's an intense training. Yes, there's certain practices where they have volunteers and they really want people to get the most out of it by not getting paid and so forth. And, you know, there's some questionable practices. And I, I say this only because no business is perfect. But what Landmark offers in terms of the teachings, the transformational teachings, and I'll bring this back to love in a second, is very powerful. I would say it's shaped my wife and I's new perspective on life or worldview, how we've uh, done everything, achieved everything, and, and, and pretty much how we've gotten here, you know, combined with uh, other mentors. But that was a powerful shift in my life. That was a definite 180, uh, a, a sharp 180 turn. So I just wanted to kind of lay that groundwork. So if you're familiar with Landmark, most of you will probably agree. Uh, some might disagree. That's okay. If you're not familiar with it, look it up. Landmark Worldwide. Highly recommend uh, now, obviously, online seminars. But when uh, hopefully this COVID thing calms down in person, much better. But anyway, so what I got in one of my seminars, which was a relationship seminar, was that we had talked about love. And the seminar leader took a moment to ask people, what is love? And it's amazing when you go around a room of, you know, 300 people, sometimes there's that many in a seminar. And, you know, obviously not everybody has time to answer, but let's say they usually get like 10, 15 answers. Or people stand up or they yell it out. As a matter of fact, I think you have to raise your hand and, you know, it's, it's formal because obviously they don't want chaos. But what I noticed is, first of all, there is a romantic notion, sort of a hallmark card, romanticism around the word love. And it's easy to get caught up in it because we've been sold this, you know, red heart, the, the icon of the heart, the Valentine's Day, you know, the I love you card, the tattoos with the heart and the arrows, you know, the, the uh, uh, Cupid, uh, you, you know, picture, like, see what comes up in your own mind, how you would describe love if you couldn't use words or language, if you had to draw it, it'd be a heart, right? So we've been sold this romantic idea of love. Now, don't get me wrong. When love is present, it is the best feeling in the world. And we'll get back to this because in order for you to know 
if love is present, you have to obviously for yourself be able to define and describe what that is. So you can say, oh, there it was again, and I felt really amazing, right? And so, and guys, bear with me. I know this is, I'm, I'm, I'm making a detour about love, but it's going to come back to our four ways of attention that our children need. And I guarantee you, and I always promise it, and I trust when I go on these tantrums or these <laughs> downloads, these rants, they always come back around. I trust because my intention is pure. My intention is to show you something that hopefully will change your perspective if you are looking to change your perspective. If what you're currently doing in life with your family and your children or child with ADHD is not giving you fulfillment in the family, most likely you want a new perspective. And that's what we're here to do. So bear with me. So back to love. So when we were in this room with 300 people and these words were being thrown around like, you know, butterflies, um, you know, a walk on the beach with the one I love, uh, Valentine's card, flowers, uh, love my children, my new partner, all these things. Yes, all these things have love coming with them if and this is what we believe based on Landmark, which we later found out in that relationship seminar, and I took this far, far into even a podcast on intimacy. If you uh, don't know of my other podcast, it's called You Love Life. It's all about love, intimacy, marriage, and so forth. I don't keep it up as frequently anymore because I'm focused on ADHD. But again, all these things have love as part of them. Yes. And here I'd like to just lay out as simple as possible what the definition of love according to Landmark and other spiritual leaders and now for our family is. It's very simple. Love is accepting someone for who they are and who they're not. Or if you want to use it for a thing, you can say accepting something for what it is and what it's not. Again, Love is accepting someone for who they are and who they are not. Now let's break this down a tad further. Love is fully accepting someone for who they are right now and for who they are not right now, but perhaps could be in the future. I know it gets very nuanced, but it's important. If we look at love that way, if we say to ourselves, hold on a minute, but I feel butterflies for this new girl or this new boy that I just met, and I think I'm in love. I would say to you, no, you're not in love. No, you might be. And I'll tell you what I mean. You're just feeling a chemical reaction in your gut area. A reaction, by the way, that cannot be recreated with the same person twice. So if you've been married for, say, 10 years or more, it doesn't matter, even a year or two, you'll probably agree with me that, that those same butterflies never came again with the same person. You may feel them again with a new person. Again, it's a chemical reaction. It's a once-in-a-lifetime reaction that happens. And it may come in 
you know, it, it, sure, at the beginning of a relationship, you may have it again. You may not see each other for a couple of years or you may have a long distance relationship and you see each other again and there the butterflies are back, right? But it's a chemical reaction when you say, oh, I felt butterflies and I'm in love. So I would say for a moment, run with me when I say, leave love on the side. Call it a chemical reaction. It could be an attraction, a physical attraction. It's two human beings, two physical bodies, right? Two souls coming together and you feel something and you're like, oh, I want to spend more time with that person. Oh, they inspire me and so forth. Again, that is not love. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to share it now. I was going to save it for later, but it's important to say it might be love. And here's why. If we look at love being accepting someone for who they are and for who they are not, then isn't it true that when you meet someone that allows you to be who you are, where you feel fully accepted as for who you are with your flaws, which would be who you're not, right? Then in that moment, yes, you're most likely present to love. Which is why when someone says we fell in love right away, it's possible that you were meeting under a set of circumstances where the other person showed you their true color or you showed them your true color and you realized they still liked you. And that's love. And I wanted to build this up bigger and drop it, you know, with a fanfare, but there you have it. Now you can argue with me or question what I said, and I'm always open. Send us an email on ADHDsover.com. I'd love to discuss it with you or through youlovelifepodcast.com. Um, here's the thing. I love discussing this because I have not yet found someone or a book or an expert or a podcast or a, a theory that's disproven what I said. So and this is not, I didn't say this, right? Like I said, this has been out there. Now, why is this important? Okay. Well, like I said, we've been romanticized, right? We've had society tell us that, you know, forgetting to send someone a Valentine's card on Valentine's Day means you don't love them enough or you don't love them, right? Or we've been told that... um you know, when you see the heart, the red shaped heart logo, that that means love and that love is butterflies or love is soulmates and so forth, right? It's been romanticized and don't get me started on the, uh, what I call collapsing love and sex. And it's a whole other episode. And I, I invite you, if you're really into this, uh, like I said, check out uh, youlovelifepodcast.com and go check out some of the episodes I've, I have on, on love. And my wife and I share openly about our marriage. And I've interviewed people from porn stars to sex researchers to authors, therapists, uh, other couples, you know. And one of the things that has fascinated me is this idea that if we have sex with someone that we should probably love them or they should love us if they went that far with us. And that's a whole nother topic. I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to leave sex on the side as a separate topic to dive into.
And it's not for this podcast, certainly not. But I just wanted to make the point that often it gets convoluted. It gets collapsed with, you know, imagine the two circles of sex and love and there's that middle overlap. And it's a whole nother topic to discuss from the female and the male point of view. And it's fascinating. Perhaps listen to Brett Jones, my interviews with Brett Jones on You Love Life. So let's go back to love. So if love was simply a function of acceptance, right? When we, if we would say love is and have a blank line and have people fill in, I'm not sure how many people would write acceptance because it seems so formal, so not romantic, so uh, almost uh, related to racism or, right? It, it, it just, it's a moral thing and it just doesn't seem romantic. So I would say, and I've done this research myself, probably 20%, maybe 15, put some form of acceptance in there. And everything else was, like I said, it was butterflies, it was romance, it was soulmates, it was feeling good, it was, you know, being spending time together, blah, blah, blah. You get it. Now, again, all those things are part of it, but they're not it. They're not love. And why am I diving so deep? Why, Roman, are you going so deep on this? Some of you are listening thinking, I came here for ADHD and you were talking to me and you, you kind of lost me at this love dive. I promise you, stick with me. If you're on your drive to work or you're at home, feel free to do something else in the meantime. If you're cooking, cook. If you need to do something, I will bring this back around. I promise you. It is my commitment. That's why I do this. So, again, love. Love, if it's simply a function of acceptance, if we say love is acceptance, what does that free us up to do? Very simple. It frees us, in the case of you, the parent, if you're listening to this podcast as a parent with a child of ADHD or any mental disorder or any challenge in life. That's why we go to these podcasts and books, right? We want to hear a different perspective, some tips and so forth to improve our lives. Yay, you're here. Welcome. I acknowledge you. So if you're listening to this, what it makes available to you and I is this simplification of, wait a minute. You're saying if I want to love someone, all I need to do is be accepting? Is that what you're saying, Roman? That is what I'm saying. Now, it sounds simple and it's not. It is very complex. It's not complex in its execution. I'll get into those details. It's not, a, not complex on how you do it. It's so challenging to actually do it because we've been trained, raised, I call it brainwashed by transgenerational parenting. That means our parents have raised us that way, their parents have raised them that way, and so forth. That means in order for us to fully accept someone for who they are and who they're not, we have to strip away everything we've been brainwashed to believe. And by the way, when I say brainwash, I mean it in the true sense of washing your brain. Because when you wash something, usually, if you're doing it right, it ends up being cleaner, right? You with me? 
So if you're washing your brain of this dirty debris of transgenerational parenting that what I call was incomplete, often very traumatizing, uh, very judgmental, lots of cultural and religious kind of constraints that will cause these non-accepting ways of being, right? If we can brainwash ourselves of that, if you can brainwash yourself of that, and my wife and I are doing this, this is a daily practice. This is until we die, we're going to keep doing this. It's the unschooling, per se, for adults. I promise you, if you start washing your brain, if you start stripping away those judgments, those cultural, religious, parental beliefs that you were given, if you strip those away little by little, now that's not easy work, but what's going to happen is you're going to realize that accepting is really hard to do, but once you do it, you are going to be in the presence of pure love. And man, is that a feeling. That is beyond one-time butterflies. That is beyond a romantic vacation in Hawaii. That is beyond, uh, uh, you know, uh, Valentine's card. That is beyond uh, making money together, running a company as a couple. And, you know, those are all great things. Don't get me wrong. I want to have them all. But what you're going to be present to when acceptance paves the way for love is just fucking bliss. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you because I'm starting to see it and feel it in my own family. So let's get into this. Roman, bring us back, of course. I had to make this detour because I wanted to make the point that when you're asked next time by someone, what is love? I want you to be armed with this because the moment I was armed with this answer, it started to create, or what, what showed up was just these fascinatingly interesting conversations around love and life, and, and it's been beautiful. You know, because if we just accept that, oh, love is just romance, and yeah, you know, love is just my, do anything for my kids, it ends there. There's no, there's no conversation to be had because everybody goes like, okay, I get it. But when we talk about acceptance, and certainly uh, it was very challenging. I, I'm no longer on Facebook uh, personally. We still have our ADHDs over a page, but I'm uh, sort of refraining from, from all social media because it's really distracting me and got me too riled up at, some, at certain times and it's, it wasn't worth it. And then there's the whole AI, you know, if you've seen Social Dilemma, if you haven't, watch it. Um, many reasons. But anyway, my point was, that on social media, um, at times when, when it was in regards to uh, politics, without choosing left or right, I had done a, a few posts saying, no matter who wins or no matter who votes for who, I'll still be here to love you, right? And I got a lot of pushback because people start to sort of bring up their own feelings around, well, no, if somebody votes for this person or that person, then you're an asshole or you're a racist and you're this and you're that, you know, in this case, it was Trump. And people say, that's where my love stops. That's where my acceptance stops, essentially, is what they're saying. And while I don't want this episode to be about how far 
do you need to go with acceptance? That's another uh, episode we can do, but it certainly right now is just between you and your child. Let's just keep it there. So going back to that, if love is simply a form of acceptance, then my next question will be, will you, can you accept your child for who she or he is and is not? Now, for example, in the case of a child with ADHD, or I call it ADHD symptoms, ADHD is a label, you know how we feel about this, I'm only using the label because you're probably coming out of a world, out of a community where that label is used, sort of a shorthand, right? So that they know, oh, you got that kind of child. If it was up to me, I would just say, if you have a child that's reacting differently, stressed, perhaps, to this world they're born into, then this podcast is for you, right? That's how I would label it. So, but back to the regular label. If you, if I'm asking you, can you accept your son or daughter for who she or he is and is not? Then, for example, you say, my son is hyperactive. That's who he is. Okay, can you accept that? Or, my daughter is not sitting still at school and doing her work. That's accepting her for who she's not, right? Can you do that? Now, when I say, can you do that? Lots of you will, might jump to the answer, might, might say, well, of course, it's my child. I'm going to you know, do the best I can. I'm going to love them. And yes, I hate them sometimes and da, 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 whatever. But how acceptance shows up is in your way of being. And what does that mean? And this is, again, just a great insight that I've gotten around 2003 when my wife and I met at uh, the landmark uh, um, advanced course. We had both taken the basic course, the forum, and then we met in the advanced course. And it was interesting because we both were in this transformational program. I mean, we both wanted to make the world a better place. In order to make the world a better place, you got to bring a lot of acceptance to the table, right? So when we say, well, can you accept your son or daughter for who they are or who they're not? It's not just coping with it. It's not just like, yeah, 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 it's my child, of course. It's actually something totally different. It's giving space, giving room to your child as a way of being. Not the doing, not the talking, not the allowing or coping, but as a way of being. What does being mean different from doing? For example, when you're being accepting, then in the moment where your child does something that you consider wrong, the way you react is your way of being. What you say is just what you say. You might say to your child, it's fine, but your way of being is anger. Well, guess what? Your child doesn't listen to the words. Your child will pick up your way of being. And if your way of being is judgmental, not accepting, not loving in that moment, that's what they're going to take away in that moment. And that's what has them feel that you don't really love them. And trust me, we all go through this in life. It's a human thing. We all either feel like we don't matter or we're not good enough 
or that nobody loves us, those are common, what Landmark would refer to as acts. Those are things that happen to you in your childhood. First time you encounter a more severe failure, we kind of sentence ourselves for life. It's a funny kind of uh, metaphor using the term sentencing yourself by saying, I'm stupid. I don't matter. Nobody loves me. You know, I'm not good enough. You and I all have one of those sentences, you know, running subconsciously, running our program. Again, that's another episode. Back to this way of being. It is in our way of being as parents that we can give our children love and acceptance. And going back to the four deposit, the currency deposit types that we talked about, right? One is managing and coping for your child. The other one is nurturing and loving, which is the one we're really talking about. Then there's play and laughter, and then there's safety, right? So as parents, we need to give our children, we need to make deposits from all four buckets, all four, uh, you know, buckets of um, attention to our children so they can then pay attention in life. And I'll, I'll close that circle at the end. But back to the way of being of love. So imagine, for example, your son comes home from school and he got in trouble. I don't know, five, six years old, seven. I remember our son would come home with a report card and it would have little little uh, smiley faces or not smiley faces, right? And they would go from from green, which means good student, to I think it was yellow, orange, red. And he, would, he had a period um, during, I think it was his kindergarten, where he would come home with a lot of orange and red. And back then, my wife and I didn't know better. This is like six years ago. You know, this was at the beginning of our research into this ADHD land. We didn't know better. We reacted the way most parents would react and go like, oh my God, you got in trouble. And what did you do? And who did you hurt? And now the teacher thinks you're a bad kid. And now we look bad. And, you know, you get wrapped up in this dialogue, but it all communicates to the child in a matter of two seconds, right? You see the report card, the child looks at your face. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what words you're using at that moment. It's your face and your way of being where they go, oh, I guess I'm not a good kid. Oh, my parents upset. Must be my fault, right? And trust me, I just want to pull out into the 100,000 foot view here. In this big picture of life, you know, if you want to just look at it for a moment spiritually, all of this stuff is perfect. We can't avoid trauma. We can't avoid anger. We can't avoid making mistakes, all that stuff. So I don't want you ever to blame yourselves. And my wife and I remind each other constantly, this is not to blame ourselves for, oh, six years ago, we should have known better. Oh, we were bad parents. And that's why now we're dealing with this. No, it's all part of the setup. You can't escape the moment you're in right now because you're in it. And as Jesus said, and I'm probably butchering by trying to paraphrase, but you know, you're doing the best you can right now. That's all you can do, right? Maybe it wasn't Jesus, but I think it was. So let's go to that moment. Your child did something that you agree, uh, sorry, that you disagree with for several reasons. It could be moral. It could be religious, cultural. It could be whatever, right? 
we're usually inside of a structure, whether it's a school, a neighborhood, a culture, religion, whatever, country, a group, that gives us these often silent rules or hidden rules, but there's rules. And, and we then in that moment feel like our child broke that rule. Like, this is not how our family wants to be seen, you know, by the school whatever that unspoken thing is, right? My mom actually used to speak it out loud and say like, what are the neighbors thinking? And I don't want the neighbors to think we're not a good family, right? It was a very Swiss thing. I grew up in Switzerland, small town. Everybody knew what everybody was doing. So essentially my parents were really concerned because we also had a hotel in town. It was one of the few really big hotels and everybody knew us. And, you know, so there was a reputation at stake. I get it. I totally get it. But even then, if you think about it, the way of being could shift everything because as a parent, you can tell your child that you don't really like what they did and here's why and here's, you know, but when you're doing it, and this is not just, I was going to say, when you're doing it in a calm manner, this is not about being calm or being not calm, right? Because if your son borrows your car and wrecks your brand new car on his first week after passing the driver's license test, you might get riled up, right? I get it. But even then, I'm here to say, if you're going to go ahead and, and say you love your children and you really want to explore with us, with my wife and I, what ultimate love looks like, even then, when your son crashes your car, you have to take a deep breath and you have to first look at the priorities, which is, is your child safe? And that, that's an easy one for most parents. They're like, of course, as long as my child's not hurt, the car can be replaced. But in that moment, how many of those of you who, who just thought, yeah, if my child is safe, the car can be replaced, it's just a material thing. In that very moment when that would happen, I wonder how many of you would stay calm, take a deep breath and come from acceptance as in like, well, it happened. Here it is. Can't change it. Well, let's check in with my child. Probably shaken up, feeling guilty, probably already has enough blame and guilt swirling in the, the aura of his being or her being that right now they don't need to be reprimanded. They don't need to get one of those lessons by the parents so they know they did something wrong. They already know it. Children are much smarter than we are. They know the moment they crashed a car, the moment they drank and, and drink and drive, uh, the moment they steal something, the moment they try drugs, they already know they're playing with fire. They know it. So when it actually goes wrong, when they follow their impulses, and impulses is a whole other episode that you are welcome to check out in, in, in this podcast, ADHD is over. I've done several on Im impulsivity. I highly recommend you check this out. I'm not going to get too much into it, but they're, they're honing their intuition. They're calibrating it. So children have to make mistakes in order to calibrate their intuition. They have to follow their impulses. That is how they are guided to learn, how they are guided to find out what they thought was right actually didn't work, right? I hate to say right and wrong, but what they thought would be a good idea actually ended up, you know, hurting someone else or having consequences, financial consequences, and so forth. So anyway, 
So your child is with you in that moment. They did something that they they knew was playing with fire. You've told them it's wrong. Don't ever do that. They do it. Now is your grand moment, your opportunity, the perfect, perfect moment to display true love, which is acceptance. I hope that landed for now. I will do another podcast. I'm not done with this one. Don't worry. I'm not going to let you hang here. We're going to bring this around. But I will do another one sometime in the future around this, uh, these moments of love and acceptance. So what I meant by love, by giving your child love, is by actually in every moment, like moment to moment on a daily basis, if you want to take this into your life as a little mini exercise today, that, that would be amazing, is to see how many times during the day today or tomorrow, if you're in a foreign country and it's already evening, by foreign, I just meant like, for example, my mom lives in, my brother live in Switzerland, right? Right now it's, I think it's like 9 p.m. So maybe you do it tomorrow. Is be present to moments where you feel like reprimanding your child, teaching him a lesson. And I put this in sort of quotation marks because we become these authoritarian adults. Now, let me tell you, when I was a kid and you should never do this and let me teach you a lesson, right? When we speak, by the way, guys, when we switch into that way of being, that authoritative adult, it's actually doing the reverse. Our children actually are realizing that we're taking on, we're acting, we're sort of like being someone else in the moment that we are told by our parents or by society we should be to put our kids straight, to teach them a lesson, to raise them right, right? I'm here to say that's bullshit. The same was it when, when, when you know, parents used to beat their children and they thought that was the only way the child's going to listen. And trust me, my wife and I, when we first had our, when we had Kai, our first son, there was moments, I remember I once slapped him in the face. Not hard, because I know better. He was a little kid. And, but I so lost it and I so went to autopilot and it's not like I heard my mom or dad in my mind saying, yes, and now you slap the child because that's, you know, you have to. No, it just was automatic. And the more I looked into it and read up on it and talked to experts about parenting and so forth, the more we realized it was kind of like when doctors used to promote smoking, you know, where we all thought, yep, that's the way to do it, right? Same, by the way, is letting a baby cry by saying, let's sleep train, let's just the baby cry and you just let them cry all night and they'll fall asleep. That is complete nonsense. That is actually not what a child needs at that moment. And I know I'm getting into perhaps conf conflicting science and parenting advice, which certainly I don't want to do. But I'm a big believer that acceptance and love always wins. Now, you see, I just made a separation there, acceptance and love. Like, why did I do that? I do that for most people listening that still see it as two separate things. It's actually the same. Because think about it. Whenever you accept something or, or, or someone in that moment, that's love. Because that person feels completely seen, heard for who they are. And guess what? They can relax. They can lower their shoulders they can feel safe. They can feel what we would call loved. So 
let's bring it back to the four types of attention that you as a parent deposit into your child, the bank account of your child. You have the managing and coping, the nurturing and the love, the play and laughter, and safety. When one of those is missing or lacking, and I can tell you right now that the easiest one or the most natural one is the safety, right? As parents, we just want to make sure our kids are safe. That's just like an instinct. Then another one that's fairly easy is to play and laugh and have a good time. And it's harder to schedule it and actually be consistent with it. But once you do it, it's not that hard. The managing and the coping is a lot of work. Let's face it, parents. If you have a child with what's called ADHD, you've been doing a lot of work. It's stressful. It's frustrating. It's exhausting, right? That's the managing and the coping. But the nurturing and the love, which actually takes the least amount of physical effort, it takes the most amount of transformational effort of being aware of actually catching yourself in the moment to transform it moment by moment, right? The nurturing, the love is usually the one that brings upon the depletion. Because if we do everything else, we manage, we cope, we give them the best, we, you know, best schools and this and that and activities and we play and we laugh and we get them ice cream, we make them feel safe, they have a house, da, 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 we have an alarm system, we have good friends, we have, you did everything. If you just leave out the acceptance, the love in those moments that are very challenging, your child will feel depleted. They won't be able to describe it you know, um, I forgot who said it. I might have been uh, Gabor Mate, one of our experts, or Thomas Armstrong. They were talking about how acting out, I believe it was Marilyn Wedge, take that back. Acting out is actually a way of commu communication for a child who's not old enough or not mature enough to form sentences, to analyze what's happening with them to demand or ask or request some support from their parents. So in order to still communicate, they act out. It's kind of funny, you know, acting is like, the skill of acting is you're, you're pretending to be someone else or something else, or you're acting uh, uh, in a way that your character would in a film, right? But in this case, kids are actually acting out and we, we consider that a bad thing. Oh, he was acting out. Well, yeah, he was acting out because he or she were trying to communicate something, but they couldn't communicate it. So the only way for them to get attention or to communicate that they're unhappy was to jump up and down, to scream in the middle of the supermarket, to hit their, their little buddy in the playground with a truck, right? There's ways kids act out. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is if there's a depletion with your child, imagine not only is there now a depletion of this love and acceptance and nurturing and listening. and But now on top of that, they're being asked at school, for example, by teachers to pay attention, to give their attention. And, you know, one of the things we discovered in the research is that the prefrontal cortex in the brain actually can only do one thing at a time, can only process one function at a time. It's either, for example, for a child, let's say a, a child is going, the family is going through a divorce. The child will be processing that divorce, that tension between mom and dad, the tension at home. 
They will process that at school, mostly when they're reminded of it, right? Or they will try to escape by staring out the window and not wanting to deal with what's in front of them, which usually at school is some form of demanding academics or, you know, algebra, math, you name it, right? But they can only process one thing. And guess which one is more troubling and more pressing? It's usually not the academics. Hence, kids don't pay attention at school, especially if they're dealing with stuff. And look, we're all dealing with stuff. We're human beings. By the way, trauma and, and dealing with stuff in life, that's, that's, that's called being human. We cannot make away with that. That's always going to be there. But it's, it's how we prepare our children to deal with it, to recognize it, to process it, to heal it, right? So this is why I wanted to do this episode, because I claim that if we pay enough attention of the right kind, especially the nurturing love and acceptance kind to our children, it will be easier for our children to start paying attention out in life in areas that might not be that interesting to them, but they kind of get they should learn something or they, you know, they're learning something. It'll be much easier for them to be present, to pay attention, to learn something and to grow. Again, that is my claim, my theory, that we are depleting our children at home so that they cannot pay attention at school. In other words, we are withdrawing more attention from them than we are depositing. That is my claim. And that is my 51-minute episode of bringing it all the way full circle I hope you enjoyed it because I know you paid your attention to me. If you've come this far, leave me a comment, share it with someone, go to our website, sign up to get updates on our uh, feature film, our documentary and our book. It should both be out end of this year. ADHDisover.com is the website. I really hope you got some value from this episode. I certainly feel inspired, you know, to be more present moment to moment and to make my children feel like they can never do wrong. And I know some of you are thinking, well, there are certain wrong things in life that they should never do. And I agree. My claim is they will never do it. They will never consider it. They will never get wrapped up in it if they're getting the right nurturing the right love, the acceptance from us, the parents. I guarantee you, you will never have to go into what I call the hypothetical world of like, yeah, but what if my son did this? And that's not right. And I can't accept that. I can't love him. For they will never go there because they won't have to act out. They won't have to go out there and prove that they're not getting what they need from you so now let me go act out because they will have everything they need. And all they need, the most important thing they need is that acceptance. Because that acceptance, that nurturing love will make them feel safe. And then they can unfold as who they are. And if we guide them right, by right, I mean if we don't become the helicopter parents that are constraining them, suffocating them, sedating them 
often forcing them into some kind of schooling or or career that we want for them, but that's not really what they want, right? So if we guide them and allow them to unfold, to become who they are, and accept them for who they are and who they're not, and by actually allowing them to be impulsive, follow their impulses and learn from it, and we're right there to hold them and to, you know, if they fall, we help them to get back up. If they get hurt, we help them to heal. But we're merely guides. We cannot become these authoritarian, demanding adults and expect our children to actually lovingly unfold. I'm going to leave it here. This was another episode of ADHD is over. There's so much more to this mental disorder than we're told. And my wife and I, our family, we are committed to sharing our insights, our research, our experience, so that parents can get the full picture. Because we're only really given and sold a one-sided narrative. And the one-sided narrative is what's out there right now if you just Google what is ADHD. And that is only perhaps even 40% of the story. The story goes way, 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 way back before education started, where there was no ADHD. Before education started. About eight to 10 years after public education started, we started to see these quote unquote cases and symptoms of children. That's another episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving me your attention. Love you all. Go ahead and just love your kids. See them in a new light. These little beings come to this planet that has lots of hurdles already. And we want to make it better for them. Better future. Much love until next time.